Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations about art and culture, you might want to check out the newest releases from David's Werner Books, where we've published award-winning titles on Diane Arbus, Yayoi Kusama, and Carrie James Marshall, in addition to Ekphrasis, the critically acclaimed series of texts on art. This season, look out for books from the likes of Catherine Bernhardt, Noah Davis, and Marcel Zama, as well as new additions to the beloved Ekphrasis series. Visit davidswernerbooks.com to learn more. Hey guys, it's Helen Molesworth here. I'm excited to let you know that I'm going to be your host for the next season of Dialogues. But before we drop those episodes in the winter, we've got a little something else on tap. I'm going to be calling dear friends and seeing what is top of mind in their studios or their work, in the art world, in art history, and in the culture at large. I'm starting with my old friend Steve Locke, a painter, a teacher, and someone whose opinions always get my juices flowing. We'll be dropping these hot takes on what's going on every other week or so, and I really hope you enjoy them. Hey, Steve Locke. Hi, Helen Molesworth. How are you, my love? I'm really good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's such a gorgeous day up here in Hudson. It's a beautiful day. Um, yeah. I'm really glad to hear that. So talk to me. What's on your mind? I understand you've been thinking a little bit about the 90s. Well, you know, it's funny because it started when I was um, at work. And uh, I teach at Pratt Institute, so I'm surrounded by young people. Young people are my life. And um, I saw a student wearing a friend's t-shirt. Get out. Yeah, like seriously. And I don't think they were being ironic about it. Oh, so and confusing. I said to her, I said, is that the TV show? She goes, yeah, it's on, it's on now. And I thought, what is it about this moment? Cause that's the nineties girl. That's a long time ago. Mm -hmm. right? And now uh, what is it about that? That has captured the imagination of people coming to the end of their teens to the beginning of their twenties. What do you think it yeah. is? I mean, that having grown up in the nineties and that would have been on, I would have been the same age as them. I never, like on principle, I probably couldn't have watched it. It was too straight for me, too white, too clean. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of it is um, stuff that comes from being queer. I think a lot of the stuff in Friends, uh, there are six people who are living in New York in, a, in an apartment that just doesn't exist. It's like a sort of magical um, place. But there are six people who have sort of created a family for themselves. Uh which is a really gay thing. Chosen you know, family. Especially, yeah, well, especially coming out of the 90s, you know what I mean? Where we, um, you know, we, we picked our own families because most of us, our families didn't want us, you know? We had to, and, we um, had to make our own family. I mean, that was sort of like part of the de rigueur idea about what it was to be gay or queer in the 90s was to have your chosen family. Right, and to defend and protect and support and sustain within your own familial community because nobody else is going to do it. Like you and I both know people who have, who died in the nineties and their families would back a moving van up to their house and clean out their apartments. Right. While we were at their memorial services. 100%. Sarah Schulman's great book, you know, the gentrification of the mind is all about that moment yes. in New York. Very important yes. book. So you think the friends, like the, the younger people, are watching Friends out of some kind of desire for 
a chosen family or I think it's that sort of a, a wish to separate themselves from their from their families of origin, which is increasingly hard for young people to do. They're tied to their families because of uh, financial ties with school and stuff like that. But also the way I have, I have to say friends is really coded as kind of gay. There's really a lot of moments like the sort of relationship between Joey and Chandler, mm. which they're constantly, the, the show is constantly telling you that these two men are not gay. But as a queer person watching it, I'm like, that's a gay couple. That's just a gay couple. They right. bicker, they, they complain about wearing each other's clothes. They do all the sort of stuff a, a gay couple would do. Right. So I think part of it is the chosen family thing, but also part of it is, um, it, it's this sort of really amazing display of connection and camaraderie among people who don't have to, don't have to have a relationship with each other. You know what I mean? You have to have a relationship with your family. Right. But friends shows this model for young people, I think, especially young people coming out of this horrible pandemic of how to have a world, how to have a, a worldview that doesn't include your parents. And if your parents do show up, they're like famous people from like old sitcoms, right? You know what I mean? Right. That's so interesting to me too, that, um, cause one of the things of course you're doing is you're bringing a queer lens to a super straight show, but a show made during a time period when a queer lens was being formed. Cause the nineties right. is the moment where queer nation is formed. It's formed against the backdrop of the HIV crisis you know, mm -hmm. and this whole entrance of a queer lexicon, how we looked, how we dressed, how we rolled, what we read, what we danced to, um, what our politics were, had a kind of visibility and an insistence on visibility. It was the 90s. Representation was all right. It had an insistence mm -hmm. on visibility that hadn't really um, impacted popular culture like that before. I mean, I think about how important it is right now that Wolfgang Tillmans has a big retrospective at MoMA. And, yeah. you know, for me, Wolfgang was, I mean, Wolfgang and I are the same age. I knew him back in the day. Um, I'm actually, I've, I've always been very moved by his pictures. Um, I remember when his lover, Jochen Klein, died and he sent out these beautiful, old-fashioned, black-bordered, you know, letterpress cards announcing Jochen's death. I mean, like just, you know, Wolfgang seemed to to just be our poet laureate in terms of taking pictures of like what our lives actually look like and felt like. And now he's at MoMA. So I wonder, is that another part of this kind of thinking about the 90s, this resurgence of the 90s um, now in the in the 2022s? I think that's a big part of it, Helen. I don't think that people, I don't, not to throw shade at MoMA or anything at all, but I don't think that anyone could have seen what we saw at MoMA in, in the time it was happening. Right. You know, Queer Nation's um, slogan, right? What we, what they used to chant in the street was, we're here, we're queer, we're fabulous. Get used to it. I love that get used to it line. I used and to you know, love saying that. Right. And that was the thing. It's like, it wasn't that, you know, this was something that was gonna, this wasn't a phase. It wasn't a passing fancy. You know, you need to get, we don't need to, we've gotten used to you. Right. You need to get used to this. Right. right? And that, 
beginning of that moment, like I said, in, in March of 1990 was, I think was the first queer nation, like large scale, uh, demonstration, but that moment became about visibility, not just about acceptance or tolerance, because that's what was the, the sort of conversation before it was tolerance. You know, and you know, as well as I do, if you scratch tolerance, you're going to see fascism bleeding. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So, tolerance is a very dangerous, very dangerous political stance. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, Queer Nation and Wolfgang were tied together in my mind because Queer Nation was so, it was about us as embodied people. And it was also about us as people who touched each other, who had right. physical affection with one another. There were kissins, but there was mm -hmm. this thing about insisting that we could, in fact, have our, the intimacy of our lives could be public. And Wolfgang right. was documenting almost like the residue of what that looked like. Well, you know, there's this whole idea about the presence of the body, right, that we talk about in art now. You talk about the body and the body this and the body that, and it's, it's not so much about the, the body as an object, like this sort of undifferentiated mass, right? The body is this sentient, um, way of being in the world, right? And it's not just looking at things, it's touching them, it's smelling them, it's tasting them and all that sort of stuff. And that in Wolfgang's photographs, you get a sense of people who are at the, they're being the most themselves that they can be right so they don't feel posed even if they are and they don't feel intrusive even if they are it feels like wolfgang is present in a way that we want to be present in 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 these kinds of lives and nobody straight people never wanted to be present in queer lives no. in the way that wolfgang presented that work mm -mm. Yeah. No, 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 no. You never wanted to be that close to two guys making out. No. And I think that um, I love all the textural stuff and the senses that you evoked, because I think that his pictures do do that. And one of the things, can I read you something? So Jason Farrago in the New York Times. And Jason, yeah, when was this? This, is, um, this is his review of Wolfgang's show. Oh, um, yeah. okay. So it's a couple of, you know, I guess it came out a couple of weeks ago. And Farrago, I've only met him once, he's younger, and he writes, It is also in a way I was not prepared for one of the saddest museum exhibitions I have ever attended. That line just jumped out at me. Mm -hmm. Right. And then he goes on to say, It is a show of friends lost, technologies abandoned, of cities grown insular, of principles forsaken. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, to your point, that is a younger person looking at the 90s through the yes. queer lens of Wolfgang Tillmans. And what he yes. is registering very rightly and very perceptively is an extraordinary degree of loss, not only mm -hmm. of actual human beings, all the people we know who passed away from AIDS, HIV, but of those technologies, of a way of life, of a way we gathered in city spaces and went to clubs and bars and raves and loft parties of, you know, of just a totally different way of, of being in a way in which Friends is not sad, but a Wolfgang Tillman show is going to show you how much we lost. Right. And I think that Friends is going to take the camaraderie and the easy connection and the in-jokes of intimate living 
and reproduce them for a straight consumption, right? And so when I look at that work and I see students who are making work, you know, in a similar vein of Wolfgang or of Nan Golden um, or of Mark Morris Rao mm. and any of those people who are part of the... Um, the Boston School. The Boston School of mm -hmm. Photography. And my beloved Luther Price, who we lost oh, last year. Luther you know, Price, such a genius. He genius. was so brilliant, mm -hmm. brilliant. And um, I, I was in consulate. For, I was on the phone with... Um, folks from B Boston University for like an hour. Uh, for anybody B out there listening who doesn't know Luther Price, Google him, you. do your homework. There's a great slide projection piece in the permanent collection at the ICA Boston. Go and look at yourself some Luther Price. But go on, what were you going to say? But um, um, now I'm thinking about Luther. I'm getting a little <laughs> choked Yeah, up, I know. The, um, that, that moment of that kind of photography, the immediacy of it, of being in medias rays with your subject. Um, and to some extent, a lot of that was happening in Boston photography, but for Wolfgang to come and sort of, the word that they use a lot with Wolfgang's work is democracy, right? Mm. They talk about a democracy of photographs, which I think is a beautiful collective noun for photographs. But the notion that a photograph, he presages the idea that the photograph can be anywhere, right? Because the photograph can be on your phone, it can be on the wall, it can be in a magazine, and how there's no difference between those images. He sort of eliminated the hierarchy yep. between those images. And um, he was also... Really paving the way for someone like Tyler Mitchell, I think. And, you know, to, oh, absolutely. For this because this generation is, that's a fait accompli. Like, they have erased right. those boundaries in ways I find liberatory. But you're right, mm -hmm. Wolfgang is the one. Um, he's sweeping the floor first there for them. Right. And, you know, being a, a fine art photographer and working with fashion magazines and working with porn companies and being a DJ and like all this sort of stuff that was happening with him in the nineties. And that like the artist as the person who was photographing his community, but was also in the community at the same time in a way that didn't talk about, um, social practice or using people like they were art supplies for him. Mm. Like it really felt like, um, it's similar like that thing about loving one's own community that we get from someone like Marlon Riggs, the, the filmmaker, right? Where the most radical thing black people can do is love each other. Yeah. You know, I mean, Marlon was so important to me in that period. Tongues Untied, really. I remember the first time I saw it. I think I actually saw it on TV because if you remember, it played on Channel 13 in New York. It was a PBS. Oh, it was on PBS. It was POV. It was the, yeah. there, was, there was, when PBS still had a kind of, well, when television still occupied your imagination. It, If right. I'm correct, it was part of their POV series, their point of view, like giving people money to make very essayistic, personal hour-long documentaries and that was where tongues untied i saw it first on television it blew my flipping mind wow mm -hmm. i saw it at a film festival i didn't see it on television yeah and so like the notion i can't even imagine how i'm being at home having that come into your little queer household totally totally yeah. strange but you know yeah. the thing about um this 90s thing that's in the air i think it's really interesting because of course I mean, to, to name drop the New York Times again, the New York Times gathered a whole bunch of black queer male artists 
sort of under the rubric of the 30th anniversary of Tongues Untied to sort of gather folks mm-hmm. together again and see, you know, what was the state of the union, so to speak, about mm-hmm. um, ab- ab- around Black gay male p- cultural production. And it was interesting, the the folks in the um, in this roundtable conversation, they weave and dodge, you know, like yeah. gay, black, queer, like all the words are on the table. And it's very interesting how on the one hand, they're using Marlin as a sort of gravitational force around which they can revolve. But they're also mm-hmm. pushing at the boundaries of what this new moment offers them. Right. And I find, um, I mean, I just, I think it's interesting that the Friends t-shirt could unlock uh, a conversation about the 90s around its maybe implicit and maybe even unconscious heterosexual appropriation of certain queer logics and identities. Because queerness is, it's get, it's mainstreaming pretty hard. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to me for folks of our generational bandwidth to hold on to what was specifically queer. And that's not just about how whose genitals get involved with whose genitals, but that's about a worldview. Yeah, there were things that I would never do as a as a particular kind of queer person that other queer people take for granted, you know? Like I'm not interested in camping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, just like as simple as that. Like I'm not remotely interested in camping. Like not not at all, right? Well, um, you're interested in camping, but not yeah, I'm camping. Not. <laughs> right, exactly. She's not getting in a tent, girl. No, it's not happening. No, I'm not happening, right? I am never so gonna like, ask you to to yurt with me. <laughs> oh, honey, no. No, no, no. That was the thing. Like when we were living in Provincetown, like, you know the lesbians would bring tents and the men would bring credit cards. Mm. Like that was, that was our version of like roughing it. Right. Well, now we got to just, if you're going to talk lesbians with tents and, and the boys with the credit cards, we have to remember, um, who is it? Is it a, is it Helene Sisu who says, you know, the lesbian is outside of the, um, capitalist economy, right? Yeah, like right. the lesbians never have as much money as the men. Never, never, never. never. No. No, Never. and that's yeah. some real queer talk right there. Yeah, and that that persists even to this moment. It does even to even to women becoming LPNs, licensed practical nurses, and uh, RNs during the AIDS epidemic, right. and not being paid as much as their male counterparts. That's right. So it goes way back. It does way indeed. Back. Yeah, it yeah. does indeed. Steve, I'm always happy to talk to you, and I'm glad to be thinking about um, just. You know, you're one of the people in my life that I go to consistently, in fact, to have a conversation about what the world does look like from a queer perspective. It's so important to me. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, I adore you. And um, I think that there's a there's a, a sort of um, a mysticism involved in being the last to remember. Mm. You know, I think that there's something really precious about that. And um, and uh, it, I can't remember unless I remember with you. It's so, so. true. It is so yeah. true. All right. I'll call you next week, sweetie. All right, sweetie. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. You can find out more about the artists on this series by going to davidswerner.com slash dialogues. 
And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help other people discover the show. I'm Lucas Werner. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you join us again next time.